The process of recording the audiobook was really interesting to me because of how the language works to convey the intent behind the book. So I wanted to write something that could hold myself and hold my readers in that liminal space between hope and despair. Speaking it out loud, I was reminded just how intense it was and just how much the people continue to struggle. Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet entrepreneur and career coach Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, organizer and writer Daniel Shirell, and Washington Post reporter Lizzie Johnson. Bringing years of insight from their respective careers, these authors speak candidly about their experiences and learnings. Hear Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin on the intersection of womanhood, power structures, and inner revolutions. Daniel Shirell on balancing hope and despair in confronting the climate change crisis. And Lizzie Johnson on the intensity of covering California's wildfires. Enjoy. This is Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, author of Becoming Heroines, Unleashing Our Power for Revolution and Rebirth. I wrote my book because I was being challenged by women around the world on how they could become greater activists for change. And the work that I've done one-on-one with women and in small groups over the last decade had produced extraordinary results, but I was really interested in getting the work that we were doing in that regard out to as many women as possible. And so that work transformed itself into this book. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be fascinating. The process of recording the audiobook was really interesting to me because of how The language works to convey the intent behind the book. And so the aspect of recording the audiobook that's about performance really required me to think through where to place emphasis and where not to place emphasis on certain words or certain sections. And also, I just find the process of being in the studio really inspiring. And so I actually really enjoyed the process of recording my audiobook. I'm excited that listeners will be able to hear a little bit more about the background of my own story that informed certain aspects of the book. One of the things that I'm really proud of in the work that we do at the Gaia Project for Women's Leadership is that we encourage women to take the stories that have really been traumatic or difficult to them and transform them into power and into agency. And so it was important to me in working on the book and in getting it out there to as many people as possible that listeners would really hear not just the stories that informed the book, but also the emotion behind them. And there were definitely sections of the book that were more difficult to record than others because they were so personal. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast Gloria Steinem in the role. (laughs) One of the things that's really important to me about the book is the legacy in which it finds itself. And I have been inspired by Gloria Steinem's writing in particular since I was a very young girl. And I'm always inspired to hear her talk about the intersection between feminism and race, which has been something she's been speaking on quite a bit over the last decade or so. It's always informed so much of her activism if you follow her history. But hearing Gloria Steinem read my own words would be something that would blow me away. 
My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is in this big armchair that I have in my office. It's also the place where my kids tend to sit while I'm working, and it's become this kind of family, soft and comforting place for us to snuggle. It's also the place where I tend to be the most creative and the most productive in my office. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. I paused, I listened, I breathed, I closed my eyes. And a few minutes later, my daughter ran inside the house to where I stood. Mommy, she said, we did it. We made it rain. And sure enough, there on the back patio was a splattering of raindrops just begun. We had done it out of nothing. On a sunny day, out of nowhere, we had brought the rain. And then, in an instant, my phone began to blow up with messages from our circle of women. Hi, I'm Daniel Shirell, and I'm the author of Warmth. I think I began writing this book. I mean, it wasn't even a book. It was more of like an autotherapeutic process for myself. When I began writing, I'd been organizing in the climate movement for most of a decade, and it had kind of been in the trenches of my inbox and of political campaigning. And I could feel like this tangle of emotional and intellectual reactions to the thing I was combating nodding itself up inside of me. And I kind of knew that if I didn't figure out a way to unspool that knot, that something in me was going to give and I wouldn't be able to do the work for the rest of my life, which is my intention. So I tried to make time to like actually try to feel the weight and contend with the problem that I was campaigning against and the immensity of it. But I also, as I began writing, you know, I was in my late 20s, And I started thinking a lot about my future family and just felt like if I was going to have a family, given the circumstances, I actually, like, wanted some sort of letter, some document to be able to give to my child to be able to open up this really difficult discussion about the state of the world they'd been brought into against their will. And it wasn't until pretty late in the process that I kind of thought about it beyond those two angles as sort of, like, a thing that might go out into the world and find an audience. The way I thought about that was I felt pretty consistently in discourse around the climate crisis that a lot of it falls into kind of two camps. One is sort of a blind optimism or techno-utopianism, and the other is a kind of cynical fatalism masquerading as realism. And both of those takes, and everyone felt like they had to land on a take, rang false to me. So I wanted to write something that could hold myself and hold my readers in that liminal space between hope and despair, which I think is the only space where you can truly encounter the problem, as I call it, or to pull from Eve Kosofsky Sedgwick's phrase, is the only place you can actually realize the climate crisis. I guess I'd say this process was meaningful. It didn't just feel like a kind of rote process. I mean... When I recorded this, I hadn't looked at the text for like four or five months. Basically, when I did my final round of edits, I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'm never looking at this again. And so coming to it fresh after that amount of time helped me to actually like encounter the words again (laughs) and to not see them as this mechanical thing that I was manipulating, but to like inhabit the emotions that I'd felt when I was first writing them. And that was really powerful for me. 
There are so many words that I have trouble pronouncing, and this is literally a joke in my family that, like, I will often invoke these words that I've just never heard spoken out loud, and so I just butcher them entirely. So, yeah, among the dozens and dozens, maybe my favorite was the word that I thought was pronounced eroborous, but was actually pronounced, I think, yoroborous, which, again, not a word I hear very often in conversation. There were also much simpler words that I also didn't know how to pronounce. I think I'm excited for listeners to hear, or at least I hope they hear, that I was really feeling what I was reading as I read it. And there was this process of like, it was really emotional to read this book, especially after having spent so much time not engaging with it. I hope that came through for people without being like too heavy-handed. I don't know. (laughs) If I wasn't going to record my own audiobook, the first person who comes to mind I would cast Zadie Smith because she has just a crystalline voice. Not to mention she'd probably improve many of my sentences, so it would be a win-win. I have to be honest, I don't listen to a ton of audiobooks. I'm just the kind of person who likes a physical object in my hands and sort of like reading at a pace set by myself. But I have dabbled, and in the year that I was living in Australia and working on this book, I took a road trip with sort of my academic host, across the outback of Australia, and we tried to listen to the second book of In Search of Lost Time by Proust, and it was just a total failure. (laughs) Like, that is not a book that can be listened to over audio. The sentences just have too many clauses. But it was funny to try for a couple days. I would say I read most often if I'm indoors, I'm reading in my bed, and if I'm outdoors, I've biked to some random green spot I've found on Google Maps and laid out a blanket, and propped my head on my bike helmet and read there. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. According to my memory, it took almost 11 more years for the weight of the problem to provoke in me a commensurate sadness. And even then, it lasted only for about 20 minutes. It was fall 2009, a month before my 19th birthday. My father was in Antarctica, and I'd come home from college to spend a long weekend with my mother. I remember the clocks had just been set back, and the early nightfall still felt abrupt and unfamiliar. We decided to watch a movie, and, knowing nothing about it, I suggested Lars von Trayer's Melancholia, which I'd been assigned to watch anyway for a class. Hi, this is Lizzie Johnson, author of Paradise, One Town Struggle to Survive an American Wildfire. I wrote my book because I felt like I had amassed so much information since I had first started covering California's wildfires in 2017. So when the campfire hit in 2018, I realized it was an opportunity to put all of that information in one place and really get people to understand what was happening in California and the West as the climate changed and these fires got so much worse. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, the word would be overwhelming, I think, because, you know, I I lived through that fire with all of those people. I covered it so intimately, lived up in paradise part-time for more than a year while I was writing it. And so speaking it out loud and, you know, experiencing it all over again, I was reminded just how intense it was and just how much the people continue to struggle in paradise and the surrounding communities as they try to rebuild what they lost. I realized I had trouble pronouncing quite a few words, actually. 
when I was a little girl, I read a lot of books and I still do. And so I pick up a lot of words that I love and love the definition of, but don't necessarily know how to say. So I had to keep pausing and asking, wait, how do you actually say this word? Because I just had no clue. Even simple words. I'm proud that I was able to really show readers what it was like in paradise, both before and after the fire. I hope that because I saw so much of it, readers and listeners will really be able to hear that in my voice. And I'm excited that they'll get to experience the fire too and to understand what an incredible place paradise was before it was destroyed. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I probably would have cast my dad, which he's not the most famous person in the world. I don't think anyone really knows him, but he has this really calming voice and I feel like listeners would really enjoy hearing him as well. I know it's not an actor, but I think it'd be great. (laughs) The last audiobook that I listened to that I loved was This is a Story of a Happy Marriage by Anne Patchett. The author recorded the book herself, and it was really cool listening to her read her essays out loud. I feel like you really picked up on the nuance of the stories because you could feel what she was thinking as she wrote those stories. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is on the San Francisco Public Library's app. So I'll go on there and rent an audiobook, and I like listening to them as I'm driving across the state to wildfires or other stories. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. For weeks, Captain Matt McKenzie had longed for rain. It would signal the end of wildfire season, which should have concluded by now. But November had brought only a parched wind. The jet stream was sluggish, failing to push rain clouds up and over the Sierra Nevada into northern California. Since May 1st, 2018, Butte County, 150 miles northeast of San Francisco, and 80 miles north of Sacramento, had received only 0.88 inches of precipitation. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash Next, listen.